Welcome to episode 14 of the Ski Discussions. I'm your host, A.B. Basson. From Pochettvoe to Stellenbosch and now London, the Ski Discussions continues its world tour as we catch up with Jamie Schultz. The Zimbabwean-born sports scientist who worked at Kaiser Chiefs is now based in England, where he works for Kitman Labs. Jamie, thanks for joining me on the Ski Discussions. Uh, you went to university in Pretoria. You were born in Zimbabwe and you you are based in England right now. Um, your journey is, is quite interesting, but let's start from the very start. Uh, born in Zimbabwe, uh, where did you go to school and, and how was it growing up in Zim itself? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Abi, for, for having me. Uh, it's, it's a great honor and privilege to be speaking to you today, so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, grew up in a small town, Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Um, sort of, you know, would have had not the conventional type of of you know youth that you usually get but um attended uh high school at uh, christian brothers college in bulawayo and um yeah it was it was non not different from what you would usually get um i don't know conventionally growing up in another place but yeah was was what sport ingrained in you from the onset we've had a lot of you know, great Zimbabwean sports men and women over the years, um, gone on to represent different countries. But you yourself went to the Junior Olympics in 2010, I think it was in Singapore. Uh, was sport, you know, early love of yours? Yeah, definitely swimming. Um, got involved in swimming from an early age. Um, came up through the ranks, had a couple of uh, international meets, uh, all the Kanas, all the, uh, the uh, um, youth games, the there was, there was a variety um, of things that came, but definitely that was the main sort of sport I was involved in with, within my high school and career, um, swimming and water polo, and represented the country in both sports. Um, but yeah, it was a great, for me, swimming was a great way to, you know, balance the academics and the discipline um, growing up as a youth in, in Zimbabwe. Um, so yeah, I did sort of a, a means to an end um uh, sort of retired as as i came into starting at the university of pretoria you came to to tux in south africa in 2011 to, to study at at in pretoria um you know you said you you represented zimbabwe at water polo and swimming why the love of soccer and where did that come from uh soccer like in zimbabwe is also quite one of one of the national sports um we've got a lot of especially playing within the PSL and all over the world. Um, we've got quite a few good soccer athletes coming out of Zimbabwe. So, I mean, it was always there. And um, when I came to the University of Pretoria, um, joined the University of Pretoria, um, my love for, for soccer sort of blossomed in that sort of era. Um, and that's when I, yeah, when I started my undergrad, started getting involved with, the whole soccer setup at University of Pretoria. Of course, they have the whole academy. Um, they had at the time it was the NFD team that which moved to PSL. So it sort of blossomed and grew from that sort of experience. You touch on Zimbabwean soccer athletes and, and soccer legends, Bruce Krobler, Peter and are two names that come to mind. Um, did they have any impact on on your upbringing and and you know your love for the game? Um, not directly, no. Um, more of your modern day. Um, I would say modern day sort of Zimbabwean superstars, Wolitka Sunday, mm. uh, Kama Biliat, um, 
Knowledge Musana, they were big names within the, the PSL uh, when I sort of got involved when I moved to South Africa. So I, I would say those guys sort of had more of an impact on um, me as a person. You studied uh, BA Human Movement Science um, at the University of Pretoria from 2011 to 2013, if I've got it correct. Um, what's, I mean, have you always been an academic? You went on to do your honors and your master's. Um, is it something that's always, you know, been of huge interest of yourself? Um, to be honest, no. Um, like I did have a good balance, like I said, between academics and, and swimming, but I would say my focus was more on swimming and, um, in, in my high school career, but academics sort of, as I joined Christian Brothers College in, in, in Zimbabwe and started doing my Cambridge O-levels, A-levels, it, it came more, became more of a imminent thing that I need to get this locked down. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say like towards the end of my high schooling um, journey, I, I sort of sat down with myself and said, look, like I actually struggled as a junior with, with regards to academics and, you know, the guidance that some of the teachers at high school um, gave me, you know, springboarded me into my academic journey. And when I joined the University of Pretoria, it became sort of like second nature almost to just get involved and get stuck in. How important is it to get that balance and and how difficult is it to get that balance between, you know, sport and academics, especially someone as yourself that, 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 that likes to keep in, you know, in, in good fitness. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really difficult, but um, it's all a part of a journey. Like no one's perfect in the beginning and it's a, it's all a learning curve. So it's, it's about trial and error. I, like I said, initially struggled with it, but as soon as you get into a sort of routine rhythm where, you know, to box off some time for some academics or some self self growth, self development, um, it's all about just building that routine and, and disciplining yourself. And I sort of applied my swimming discipline into my academics where, you know, we boxed off time for training and then said, why not do it for academics as well? It's, it's really important, especially, and I know the university of Pretoria does a really good um, job of this is, um, helping athletes or elite athletes balance their studies and their athletic um, commitments. Um, so just off the back of that springing springboard, speaking off the back of that, it's, it's, it's a fine line between the two, but it just takes some time, discipline, and sometimes just trial and error. In your personal point of view, how important is it for, for professional athletes to invest in studies and education, considering, you know, you only play professional sport for, maximum 10 to 15 years yeah for sure um i mean there's sort of two sides to the sword that i think is um i think it's really good it's always good something to fall back on um a very good friend of mine jimmy jumbo um he played for kaiser chiefs and Mm. and zimbabwe as a nation you know he had quite a terrible knee injury and um like hadn't really dived into the academic, but, but did some coaching. And now he's one of the coaches for Kaiser Chiefs. So anything can happen within a sporting journey. Um, and like, he's a good example of, you know, having a balance between the two and something to fall back on. Um, so I think it's really important, but it's never too late to start studying. So you can always start again, start up again, once you've finished your athletic career. So I think there's two sides, whichever one's preferable to the, you know, the athlete themselves. You did your master's thesis uh, on a position-specific comparison of training and match demands in elite female soccer players in South Africa. What exactly did you find 
in your in your findings in your studies during the course of your thesis over the two years. Um, in a nutshell, how would you explain it to people? So um, basically, I dissected the women's game. Um, it was sort of one of the first studies done in elite women's football within South Africa, and I, uh, you know, sort of dived into what the athletes were doing on a weekly basis and what was showing up in the games and sort of streamline the periodization towards how can female athletes best prepare for, you know, um, their, their matches or their elite level matches. And I did like position specific. So how much of it was jogging, how much of it was sprinting, how much of it was walking, and then just generally dissected the game down and then came up with like a, a performance model to best suit their game, their game demands. And there's a lot of stuff being done all over the world now with, with female athletes. And um, I think it's a good, it was a good start to, you know, my female, my like female side of the game as well. You work quite ex- extensively with Safa and especially with the female athletes, like you mentioned. Um, yeah. What did you make of, of the athletes we have, yeah, you know, within the structures, we've we've qualified for a World Cup over the past few years. We've had some players doing well now in Spain, especially. Um, what do you make of the structures and where can we improve? Uh, the structures are quite solid, um, to be honest. Um, the uh, Basitsana Youth Academy, which I was involved in with Shona Hendricks from 2013 up to about 2015. And at the time, Cheryl, Cheryl Boots was the was the head coach. Um, but within that academy, um, obviously the females are housed, educated and trained, but from then onwards, I think it's, 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 it's a good starting point, a good place to start for female athletes. Um, from there, obviously it's a full-time academic and sporting, you know, program and it's, it's facilitated quite well. I've worked with, um, Tembi, who's now overseas as well, Linda, um so a lot of the athletes come through those structures so i mean it's it's just self-evident to see the the success of the academy and from the women's side we have so many you know coming through those structures we qualified for the world cup and the 17 world cup in 2018 uruguay um so it's just again constant flow of these these athletes coming through also involved with, with Tux fit, football, and I, I spoke to Coach Van um, last weekend. You saw on the podcast. I saw you left a comment there on LinkedIn. Um, you know what? What was that experience like working for Tux football? We've got great structures, uh, obviously now in the second, back in the second division, South African football. But do you think other universities and other teams in the, the top division can learn from how Tux do things? Uh, most certainly, I think. You know, the learning never stops, especially in elite football. Um, but but Tux does have a really good solid setup. You know, you've got the junior program from the, the littles under nine, under 10, and um, the whole youth academy program, um, the school league program, academy league program, all the way up to varsity cup football. Um, and then obviously the professional team, I'm a Tux. And I think throughout all these structuring and levels of, of the University of Pretoria, I think it offer, offers athletes, you know, a well-rounded experience within a football, footballing institution. Um, you have the option to join, you know, the Elite Academy, um, which is run by Jason. And um, I think, yeah, it, it, it's, it's far, it's, it's, let me not say it's far ahead, but it's a good starting point if, if you want to get that, you know, 
holistic footballing experience. You then joined uh, Kaiser Chiefs 2016, uh, a huge brand, not only in South Africa, but on the African continent. Uh, how was that experience and working for Kaiser Chiefs on a daily basis? Oh, it was, it was you know, one of those things where you join a, an institution like that. It's almost like a dream come true. And um, when, I, when I joined uh, Kaiser Chiefs, it was sort of like, you know, this is time to get stuck in, get working. And it was a time in my life where I wanted to really zone in and see what was important for my career and what I cared about. And a lot of this um, was wrapped around youth athletes, um, the challenges they face day to day and how to, you know, beat those challenges. And I learned quite, I learned a substantial amount from from joining Kaiser Chiefs. But but one of the my main goals was to come in and influence those youths that, you know, come to grow up from an underprivileged background and to give them the opportunity to to get playing and use their talents to um, sort of rise above the poverty. And, you know, we had some really good, um, you know, rags to riches sort of stories, um, unbelievable stories where, um, you know, seeing a kid really struggle throughout their their schooling and upbringing and then, you know, coming to training every day and making it at a top level, elite level. So that for me was really important is to come and change lives, to be father figures for some of these kids and change their lives for the better through something they were extremely passionate about. On that note, you have submitted a manuscript for publications titled Soccer Science South Africa. Um, do you care to elaborate on exactly what you you say in the manuscript and, and what that is what that is all about? Yeah, definitely. Um, this was sort of a project I've been working on for quite some time. Um, there's obviously quite there's layers to of complexity to this, but it's the same sort of principle where I spoke about the the kids and you know our economic challenges, and um, we've got a lot of passionate coaches within the game in South Africa and. Um, you know, football being one of the uh, the national sports in South Africa, I wanted to give um, the same sort of support I gave the junior athletes to the coaches where if they were unable to attend a tertiary institution or education, um, they could just pick up a book and have like a go-to guide on soccer science and hopefully it aids them within their soccer journey. Um so basically it was just, yeah, just to help people along that journey. And if they weren't able to afford, you know, going to university, just give them the opportunity to, you know, self-help manual, pick it up, um, read it. Hopefully it makes a bit of a, a an impact and change. And um, I mentioned the manuscript will be, you know, at I'll sell it at manufacturing costs. So it's, it's just to help people throughout their journey. For those who are not in the know, how difficult is it for, for some players to make it as a professional level? You would have seen it from grassroots level. How difficult is it for, you know, some, some players come out from really difficult circumstances. Um, you know, do you care to elaborate maybe of one of your experiences in the field? Yeah, it, it's, it's certainly, um, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, you, you get some kids that almost, you know, grow up with absolutely minimal and, um, you know, it's a struggle. It's a sacrifice almost daily to put in that 20 rand to come to training. But, you know, it's 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 about us as a community helping those type of people. And um, 
you know, coming together as a community, it, it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, we had a lot of cases where kids would show up to training, you know, hungry and Kaiser Chiefs have, have done an, an amazing job in facilitating or supporting these type of athletes. Um, but it's definitely not easy. It's definitely not easy. And, um, that's also like as a brand Kaiser Chiefs, it was about, you know, assisting those guys, assisting the real raw talent and helping them come through the the ranks and hopefully, you know, make it into the senior team. You spoke there about nutrition. How important is it to get nutrition right in the professional sporting landscape? I think it's sometimes, especially in the local scene, uh, it's something that's that's overlooked. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did a, like a, a use case study um, around nutrition, but it's it's most certainly important. Um, and I'll touch a bit of a bit about a bit on the science about this whole um, this whole ordeal. Is um, the nutrition is especially for youth athletes coming through? You have all these growth phases, and there's this phenomenon known as peak height velocity. Um, and obviously, no scientific research behind it. I just did my own collation, but those athletes that um, you know, don't really have the day-to-day common nutritional practices, um, usually reach peak height velocity, which is the greatest height attained or the greatest growth attained in a small period of time. Um, And this is where injuries pop up mostly. And I speak about this in the book is during this phase, the athlete is more likely to be injured. Um, And if their nutrition isn't on, on, on point, you usually find the kids reach peak height velocity a lot later. And then with this comes structural problems. So terrible coordination, terrible first touch, terrible agility. And it's during those phases where usually a coach will say, look, like it's not like he's cutting the grade and um, they would get released. And then you've lost a talent due to this, you know, this whole peak height velocity phenomenon. You speak there about nutrition and youth development, but even at senior level, professional level, it's it's very important. You think professionals get it wrong a lot of times in terms of nutrition as well. Um, I've, I'll speak on on some of the stuff like um, that I know about, but it, it's easily to get it wrong. Um, at the end of the day, it, it's what works for you. I mean, I think it's more critical when you're growing up, but as you come more senior, um, obviously, you you if you're all the professionals, they, you know, sometimes want to find the best way to recover. Nutrition is one of those areas. Um, I'll just give a, a small example of Usain Bolt, who before he broke one of the world records, he ate chicken nuggets as a pre-match <laughs> meal. So yeah, um, it all depends on the individual specific, what you feel comfortable with and what you want to touch on and what works for you nutrition-wise. But I think getting a balance between the two is, is really important. During the course of all of this, of the last two years, there's been a, a pandemic, COVID-19. How difficult was it for you in the last few months of your time at Kaiser Chiefs uh, dealing with this and, and being stuck at home most of the time? Oh, it was it was very difficult. Um, you know, having the kids at home, um, trying to facilitate programs from their home. And, you know, when, when they're not coming into the village, um, opposites own problems because you don't have time on field. Um, but I was working around this, um, you know, setting up Zoom sessions, facilitating their programs from home um, as best as we can. You know, you can only do so much. But I think still with, with the whole pandemic, it's still affecting youth academy football. I mean, 
I think they've had about a calendar year now where they haven't played a game, especially in the GDL Soccer League. MDC kicked off a little bit for a couple of games towards the end of last year into this year, but again, it's been suspended. But you can only control what you can control. And, you know, it was about collating together myself, uh, Jared Marsh, Tinas, Van Rensburg, um, practitioners of, of Kaiser Chiefs, um, really brilliant guys, um, you know, coming up with a plan to best facilitate and mitigate, you know, the, the impact of the pandemic. I mean, you were involved in South African football for for better part of a decade um, before going to England. Um, you know, in the structures at different levels, what do you think is is lacking the most, and and what do we need to become a real force on? You know, not only on the African continent but on a global scale. It's a it's a difficult question. Um, I I I would say consistency and mentality um, are two. So being consistent throughout what we want to do and how we want to do things. And just, uh, like I said, it's a a difficult question, but I think the SAFA structures in place um, have a good, you know, facilitation of of athletes to come through. And it's it's shown that that's shown with with what's being produced in the PSL. But it's it's a difficult question, I think. It's it's more complex than than how we put it. Maybe that's that's for another conversation and another time. Um, I'd I'd like to dive more deep into it, definitely. But like it's it's quite a complex, you know, integration of of certain things, society, culture, um, economic status, and um, style of play. But one of the main things that that I would also like to speak on is is, is style of play and the influence of of certain coaches um, coming in from overseas and should we have our own style of play that's not up to me but you can argue for and against it mm. do you think sometimes the flair is taken out of south african football you know you speak about style of play i think a lot of times if you look back at the, you know, the 80s and 70s before the the foreign influence so a lot of flair in south african football is built around that do you think that has been taken away with, with a lot of foreign coaches coming to these shores over the last few decades it, it, it depends um i think you know, if if if, um, if I base my answer off Brazil um, and how they, you know, culture influences their style of play. So you get the Brazilian samba, it's rhythmic, it's it's like a dance. And that already portrays through their, through their soccer and their attacking play. Um, South Africa's not so different. We... South Africans are rhythmic. They have a quick style of play. They are very, very skillful players. Um, but it just it just depends. If, if you have a an athlete coming through the youth ranks and they taught a certain way, um, you know, and a manager comes in, that will still be ingrained in them. So you can have influence from outside, which is not a problem, but it's how that's conveyed on the field, basically. We could just switch focus to the now. You're now based in London. Uh, you work for a company called Kitman Labs. Uh, for those who don't know, what is Kitman Labs and, and what do you do on a daily basis? So Kitman Labs is a is a data-driven company um, that basically it was it was founded by a CEO, um, Stephen Smith. And um, basically we collate data and uh, use data to make better decisions day to day. So teams are come in and 
you know, sign up with Gitman Labs and we provide them data-driven solutions towards their problems. Um, it's a company that really cares about the, uh, their, their clients and um, how they use their data and care about their problems and offer solutions to certain problems. You guys don't just work in soccer, but across board. Uh, what other sports are you guys involved in uh, predominantly? So there's over 150 teams signed up with uh, Kitman Labs at the moment, um, from NFL to cricket to hockey. Um, basically, it's just a collation of of sporting elite sporting teams that um, uh, you know throughout the globe um, that sign up on for the platform. And yeah, it's 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 across the board. Um, I, I I can't even think of one sport that hasn't signed up with us. Well, Jamie, I've enjoyed your, your insight and I wish you all the best in, in London. Um, you've achieved a lot over the last 10 years. Um, what can we expect from you in the next 10? Uh, good question. Um, but for the next 10 years, I just want to focus on my role as an applied sports scientist with Kidman Labs. And, um, you know, they've showed great trust in me to come into a role with, with such a big company. And, um, that's that's me for the next 10 years is I just want to focus on where I'm at and, and delivering the best I can. Um, but yeah, only time will tell and we'll have to wait and see. Well, thanks again, Jamie, and all the best. And thanks for joining me on Disky Discussions. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been a privilege and great to talk to you. Ciao. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Ski Discussions. If you have any questions or guests you'd like me to have on the show, please hit me up at AB underscore Basson on Twitter or on Instagram. Stay safe, like, subscribe, aware.